Welcome to Intuitive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Ackerman, the Intuitive RD. I'm a non-diet registered dietitian and intuitive eating coach. My mission is to help women recover from diet culture and heal their relationship to food and body. Follow along as I speak with leading professionals in the field and explore concepts of intuitive eating, health at every size, and body liberation. This episode of Intuitive Bites podcast is brought to you by my online intuitive eating courses. Take your food and body healing journey to the next level with these self-paced online courses. If you're brand new to this topic, check out my Introduction to Intuitive Eating course. If you're looking for something more comprehensive that talks about body image healing, health at every size, and intuitive eating, check about my Food Freedom 101 course. And if you're a professional in this space looking to learn more about how to do this work with your clients, but also how to do this work for yourself, check out my anti-diet approach course for professionals. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Intuitive Bites. Hey guys, welcome to episode 61 of Intuitive Bites. For the show this time, I'm chatting with Beth Rosen, who you may know from Instagram as Goodness Gracious Living. And we are talking about the connection between disordered eating, eating disorders, chronic dieting, and digestive issues. I can't tell you how many questions I get from people about this. Um, People wondering how do they incorporate, you know, all of these different foods that they're craving um, while following an intuitive eating approach. Um, There are so many people who experience digestive issues when recovering from disordered eating. It is so common. Um, So Beth is the perfect person to talk to about this. So I'm really excited to share her perspective on this with you guys. Uh, Before we dive into this episode, there are a few things I want to let you guys know about. So the first one is that I'm hosting another webinar next weekend. So it's Saturday, May 23rd. So I'm doing a Saturday instead of a Friday this time because I know there were several people who had to work on Friday and couldn't make it to the webinar. So um, so it's Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern. It's an hour long. It's Q&A format. So bring your intuitive eating and body image questions, and we're just going to talk them out. Uh, so it'll be a really good time. I'm also going to provide the recording afterward to anyone who requests it. So if you know something goes funky that morning, you can't make it, or you already know you can't make it because you've got something else going on, or it's too early for you on the West Coast or something like that, just let me know and I can send you the recording. Um, I forget if I already mentioned it. It's only $10. Um, you can register by just going to my Instagram page. So it's at the intuitive underscore RD. And just click the link in my bio. It'll be the first one. Um, The other thing I want to let you guys know about is a big announcement. So if you've been following me on Instagram, I've been kind of hinting at this announcement. I think many of you were able to kind of guess what it was. And that is that my book is being released on June 30th. So it's coming very, very quickly. Um, Yeah, this book is something that I've been working on. Uh, for a bit of time and I'm just so excited to share it with you guys um, because I really poured my soul into it and it's obviously something that I don't know it's just kind of crazy kind of crazy that I have a book out there Uh, the book is called the intuitive eating plan 
a body positive approach to rebuilding your relationship with food. So obviously it's very uh, on point with what I talk about. Everything that I talk about is in there. Um, you know, there's health at every size stuff. There's body liberation. Um, I'm talking about intuitive eating. The, the main kind of vision for this book is that it will provide more structured support in applying the intuitive eating principles in your life. Um, so I talk about things like how do you do, you know, meal planning or grocery shopping in general from an intuitive eating approach? How do you set goals for yourself from this intuitive eating approach? Um, yeah, so it's, it's awesome. It's so exciting. Um, if you want to pre-order it, you can go to the link in my Instagram bio and I am going to have a link for you to do that in there. Um, yeah, so obviously you can tell I'm super excited. Um, I'm excited for you guys to give me your input when you finally uh, hopefully get it in your hands. Anyway, that is all I have for you before this episode. So let's go ahead and listen to my conversation with Beth. All right, Beth, we are good to go. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Thanks for coming on. No, my pleasure. So I am really excited to talk to you a little bit more about the overlap between intuitive eating and GI conditions. I feel like there are so many questions that people have about this. Um, so can you talk to me first a little bit about just like what you do? Um, yeah, just tell me about the work you do. Sure. So I would say my practice is split into two almost, my, my private practice work. Mm -hmm. And part of that, I work with people with digestive disorders, such as irritable bowel syndrome, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, gastroparesis, uh, and the like, reflux, things like that. Uh, a lot of those people come to me um, with food confusion about what rules to follow, whether it be an old diet or things that they're GI doctor told them to follow or things they found on the internet. Um, and so we work through that to give them the right dietary intervention to help them to feel better. And then the other half of my practice is working with people with maladaptive eating behaviors, whether that's disordered eating, chronic dieting, or eating disorder recovery. Um, so there is that overlap if you were to make one of those, you know, science dork Mm -hmm. uh, Venn diagrams of where people fall. A lot of my eating disorder clients have GI issues and some of my GI clients end up with some maladaptive eating behaviors just from food fear. Yeah. So that actually leads me perfectly into what I wanted to first ask you, which is very generally like, what is the relationship between disordered eating and GI conditions? So the research shows that up to 98%, which is like everybody, up to 98% of people with eating disorders will develop a functional GI disorder. So that looks like um, delayed gastric emptying or reflux or uh, irritable bowel syndrome where um, nothing's wrong structurally necessarily with the way your GI tract could work, mm -hmm. um, but functionally it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And a lot of times that's due to either restriction happening where the body doesn't know when it's getting its next meal. So it slows down everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you do start to eat, it doesn't know how to process it right away. It doesn't trust that this is going to be a regular thing. So the, it takes a while for the body to catch up with recovery. Um, so that's when you might experience delayed gastric emptying or gastroparesis. Mm -hmm. um, and IBS is something where um, when you eat, um, you are 
gut responds in a way that is hypersensitive. So it's called visceral hypersensitivity. So when stimuli is added to the gut, which is food, um, and, and maybe the microbes in our bodies feed off of that food and create gas or um, the molecules draw in water and that creates some bloat. In people without GI issues, they won't really feel that. But people with GI issues um, who have visceral hypersensitivity, that small amount of stimuli will create um, an exponential impact on how they feel. Mm -hmm. So they'll feel the gas, they'll feel the bloating, they'll have cramping. Maybe they'll be moving their bowels more often. Maybe they'll be constipated. So um, depends on how each body reacts. It's so crazy because it's like, um, I think it can be really confusing because when people experience some of these sensations related to their gut, their the first instinct and what our culture would kind of tell them to do is start eliminating foods and like, um, or even like for the people who have like this delayed gastric emptying, like they're feeling really full when they eat something. So they, you know, kind of take that as a sign of like, okay, I need to eat less or I need to stop eating. So what are your, your thoughts on that? Because I feel like the, the response often maybe is counterproductive. Yeah, I think that's where food fear comes in. So people automatically assume that when something's going on in their gut, that it's related to food. And many times it's not. Sometimes it could be related to stress. A lot of times it's related to stress. Mm. Um, and uh, it can be related also to lack of sleep. It could be related to certain medications you're on. So it, it can vary and it can, and, and it could be, it can be related to food, but in many cases it's not. If it's irritable bowel syndrome, it's the nature of the disease. You are going to have flares, you are going to have symptoms, um, but it's how you manage them that will make them more tolerable. Um, but automatically eliminating food is not the answer. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's a huge message again, since so many people who are kind of like self-managing um, symptoms related to the gut are, are kind of approaching it that way. So how do you recommend, you know, someone, I feel like another thing that comes up is people think that if they're having, um, if they have a GI condition that they can't do intuitive eating, or if there are foods that um, they've been told they need to avoid, they can't do intuitive eating. So what are your thoughts on that? So that, that's, um, that's one of the best parts of my job is teaching people how to be intuitive eaters while being on a dietary intervention for treating whatever issue they have. Mm -hmm. So I have people use intuitive eating in a way that helps them to understand whether food is or is not a trigger, right? So we might be doing the low FODMAP diet, for example, and I do not do this with people who have eating disorders, but I will do it with mm -hmm. people who um, have GI disorders that aren't participating in um, maladaptive behaviors that could worsen by you know, giving them a restriction. Can you uh, explain what FODMAP is? Sure. Mm -hmm. So the low FODMAP diet, it's an acronym that stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, monosaccharides, disaccharides, and polyols, which is a big fancy way of saying fermentable carbohydrates, hmm. which is another way of saying when you eat these specific foods that are not intuitive, and I don't mean like intuitive eating intuitive, but you can't look at them and decide what's fermentable and what's hmm. not. So there needs to be a list. Mm -hmm. when, when somebody with that visceral hypersensitivity eats some of these foods, they may experience an uptick in their symptoms. So what we do in the first phase, which is short, it's between two and six weeks, we remove any fermentable carbohydrates from the diet. That is not all carbohydrates. That's just some carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. You can still eat carbohydrates from the fruit, 
from vegetables, from grains, from nuts, from seeds, from mm -hmm. some lentils, not lentils, um, some um, legumes, mm -hmm. and get a nice variety of um, fibrous, rich carbohydrates that feed our microbiome. And you can mm -hmm. also get a lot of refined carbohydrates. A lot of fun foods are included in there that are also safe mm -hmm. during that diet. So that's the first phase of that diet. And it's a three-phase diet. Mm -hmm. um, so I might put people on that in order to figure out if food is an issue and if food is an issue, which foods are their specific triggers because it's not the same for everyone. And that's where the intuitive eating piece comes in. Not only just listening out for your hunger and your fullness cues, but also for listening out, how does this food make me feel? How do I feel a few hours from now? Am I during this time finding ways to be positive around food so that I don't trigger a response based on stress and then blame it on the food, right? So we play that way. So that's part one of it. The next part is when we do do the reintroduction phase of the low FODMAP diet and we start to systematically add foods back in, that's another place where people can play. So you can have a reaction to a food that could be a trigger and that's your choice there. That's the intuitive eating part. That's your choice. You can eat that food knowing full well what the response will be in your body, right? Mm -hmm. So you can choose to eat food X and have gas and bloating and diarrhea, and that's fine, right? Because yeah. that's your body. You can do what you want with it. That's the autonomy of, of intuitive eating. Um, but if you're trying to take care of your body and show your body respect, then maybe you don't want to be in pain. Then it's your choice whether or not you have that food. So you can certainly have it and know what the outcome will be or not have it and not have that outcome. But that said, so that people understand with irritable bowel syndrome, if you are eating foods that cause symptoms, you are not at higher risk for things like cancer. It's not causing mm -hmm. damage, it's a functional issue. It's not a structural issue. So you're not causing damage by eating foods that give you gas and pain and bloating and all that other stuff. That's helpful. And I think like the way that I approach it, obviously, you know, is very similarly. And, and like sometimes like just allowing people to realize that like, it, it, it's not like an all or nothing <laughs> decision, right? Like it, it's maybe sometimes it's like, yeah, like I'm going to be home and it's kind of, I'm deciding that this is what I want to do and have this food that isn't going to make me feel great. Um, but, or I'm going to decide the next time that I'm not going to do that. Cause I'll be out and about and like with, with people and I don't want to be experiencing those symptoms. So like, it's not an all or none, but I feel like the power of having that permission is really what's so central to that approach. Yeah. And I find with a lot of my clients, sometimes it's just me giving them permission. And I, you know, they're just so used to having diets give them permission or restrictions yeah. that it's very hard for them to say, I'm in charge of my body. I get to decide. So sometimes I say, you have permission to eat all the foods. You have permission to eat past fullness. And you have permission to eat whatever the heck you want. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes just saying that gives people this big sigh of relief that, okay, from here, a dietitian is telling me that I can have whatever I want to eat. So if she says I can have cheese doodles, I'm having them. <laughs> no? Yeah. Yeah. And also like from that place, I feel like from that place of permission and like, yeah, getting that per permission from someone outside themselves or whatever, like that's the place in time, like with, with a little bit of time in that place of permission, that's where you can start to think about like what you want and how you want to feel because you know that you can have those things. Right. And then sometimes it is like, okay, well, I don't do well with X food, but 
I'm not going anywhere or I'll be home in four hours. And I know yeah. that's when my symptoms start. And I want to enjoy this food. You know, for a lot of people who have lactose intolerance, the lactase enzyme doesn't necessarily help all the way with certain fluid dairies like an ice mm. cream or, or milk. And they may say, you know what, I'm just going to have it anyway, because why miss out on the fun of it if the symptoms only last for a couple of hours? Yeah. You know? So sometimes that's, it's worth it. Yeah. I have another question for you that I wasn't really planning to ask, but it came to mind as we were talking about the FODMAP diet and kind of like reintroducing. So it made me think of, uh, basically, I just want to ask you your thoughts on Whole30, because I feel like that's how that's talked about as well as like this elimination and then like slowly adding things. So what are your, your thoughts on Whole30? It's a fad diet. It's yeah. any, anything, <laughs> any diet that's telling you that you're going to lose weight on it is a fad diet. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to cut gluten out of your diet, to cut dairy out of your diet, unless you've been diagnosed with something that says you should, especially gluten. If you think that gluten might be an issue, I really, really recommend people go to their GI doctors or find a GI doctor and get tested for celiac disease because that, in fact, if you do have that and don't know about it, does do damage mm -hmm. to your intestines and your ability to process a bunch of things because a lot of our, um, a lot of our enzymes grow on the surface or are you know, present on the surface of our intestines. And if we have, um, if, if somebody has celiac and they're damaging their villi by eating gluten, then they're not going to have the ability to absorb certain nutrients and will cause other things, right? So it's important to get tested. At the very least, you can go get a blood test to test for the genes. There are two genes that you mm -hmm. might have. If you don't have the genes, then you definitely don't have celiac, right? Um, it, you could have what's called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. A doctor can also check for that. But again, you need to be eating gluten in order to do that. So before you go on your own elimination diet, you need to rule out the things that could be happening in your body while you're still having those foods. Yeah. It, I don't even know the word for what it makes me feel, but it's frustrating to me because I've spoken with several people who um, have had doctors just kind of blanket, blanket statements say like, oh, like you're having GI problems. Like maybe you should try cutting out gluten, like without doing the testing. I've had that too. And I say, that's, that's not really a good idea. I went to a conference um, <laughs> last May and this predominant doctor was speaking about gluten and he stood up and he said, there are four groups of people that should not be eating gluten or don't eat gluten, right? So the first one is people with celiac disease. The second is people with non-celiac wheat, wheat or gluten sensitivity. The third is those with a fructan intolerance. And that's one of the FODMAPs. So you could be sensitive to the, um, the carbohydrate in wheat, but not the protein in wheat. Gluten is the protein in wheat. So the, the fructan is the, okay. the, the carbohydrate in wheat. And the last group are people from California. And he got a big laugh because it became <laughs> such a fad there that people from California just don't eat wheat. You know? And there's, there's no reason, you're not necessarily healthier by doing that. And in fact, for some people, you could be less healthy because you're missing out on a whole grain that could be yes. providing you with lots of fiber because it's so readily available and inexpensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Like I feel like, you know, <laughs> gluten's just become one of those words where it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's just like automatically the assumption is it's automatically healthier if it doesn't have gluten. And like, that's just, I guess here we just want to make sure people are understanding like bursting that, that, um, myth or whatever, because there's nothing that's unhealthy about gluten, unless you have a condition that makes it unhealthy for you. 
Yeah. And in fact, it's what makes bread so chewy and delicious. So why wouldn't you want it if you could tolerate it? Exactly. Satisfying, chewy, crunchy, whatever. Satisfying food is healthy and awesome. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I want to ask you about, this kind of ties into um, just like in general, the overlap between um, gut conditions and disordered eating, but your thoughts on like orthorexia and and disorder, yeah, orthorexia and gut conditions? Well, I would say that, you know, it it depends on what people are doing to deal with their gut conditions. And in some cases, people will um, be diagnosed with orthorexia, which is really eating um, with the idea that if you eat something that is quote unquote, not healthy, that it will harm you. It's not necessarily for um, weight loss or being smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. body. It's usually for health concerns. Um, And again, I go back to that part about this being a functional GI disorder where Mm -hmm. um, it's not causing harm inside. It might feel like it, but it's not causing harm inside. So, you know, really working with with those people on the stress management piece is key. It may not even be so much about the diet. Like I won't necessarily move to low FODMAP with them. I might first teach them about diaphragmatic breathing or meditation, or refer them to a GI psych to get some help with the thoughts around their behaviors, rather than jumping right in and feeding their orthorexia by giving them a list of foods to avoid. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Hmm. Okay. And I guess like for, oh, you know what I was going to ask you? This is what I was going to ask you. So people who have experienced these kind of like functional issues with their gut, um, what happens like when someone recovers from an eating disorder or they stop restricting um, and kind of engaging in those behaviors that maybe contributed to those gut conditions? Like do most people heal from that completely or do most people have those kind of things for life? In many cases for people with eating disorders, once they are in recovery from their eating disorder, their GI issues will heal themselves. Um, There is a great analogy that Tammy Beasley, who is an an excellent um, eating disorder dietitian, um, uh, explained at a conference once about an old sponge versus a new sponge. (laughs) So if you can picture like an old sponge, it's sort of curled in on itself and dry. Mm -hmm. If you were to pour water on that, it would sort of bounce off first before it would soak in if you've ever Mm -hmm. done that before. And a new sponge, it's like very pliable. And if you poured water on it, it would soak it all in, right? So if you think about those as stomachs, right? Or GI systems, People who have been underfed might have the GI of the dried up sponge where it's just not used to absorbing so quickly. So in the beginning, when you are refeeding or you're you're doing some nutrition rehabilitation, then you you might have experience of cramping or gas or pain because Mm -hmm. your body's just not used to taking in food. Yeah. And then, or it might be used to you purging and emptying the wrong way rather than going through the small intestine, Mm -hmm. right? So um, the the body can feel different things. But after a while, after pouring water on that dry sponge, it will eventually capture the water and look more like the new sponge. So I think it's a matter of compassion and patience. Mm -hmm. And after a year, if you've been in recovery for a year and you're still feeling that, I would definitely seek out a GI dietitian at that point who might have experience in eating disorders as well, just so that there's no um, 
no issues with what you're being told. Definitely somebody who is within the health at every size paradigm mm-hmm. um, to work on the GI stuff if it hasn't healed itself. Okay. That's, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, yeah. And thank you for everything you shared. I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people listening. I haven't really covered a lot on this topic. So for anyone that's listening that this did resonate with, and they're, you know, they have experience with um, their own gut condition. Um, what would be your advice to that person right now? Uh, I would say definitely seek out a professional, a GI mm-hmm. dietitian. Uh, again, and the Hayes paradigm is always best because nobody's <laughs> going to be giving you a weight loss diet while you're trying to heal your gut or yes. heal your disordered eating. Um, and I would say stay away from Dr. Google because <laughs> that's not real information. <laughs> um, so that's probably where I would say start. Awesome. Thank you so much. And where can people find you? And do you offer like, um, yeah, virtual sessions? Where, where can people find you? Yes, thank you for asking. Um, my website is www.goodnessgraciousliving.com. And on there, you can link to my virtual sessions, which I am accepting, uh, which I was accepting before all that is going on in the world right now. So um, we've definitely been up and running on that. I also have some freebies on there for people who are looking to ditch diet culture and also to heal their gut. I have two different freebies on there, actually, three different freebies on there. And then two courses that are online. One, that will help you to ditch dieting and get a jump start on that, which is called uh, the Integral Power Non-Diet Mission. And then I have another course that if you don't have a GI dietitian close, but want to learn all about how to care for your irritable bowel syndrome or other gut issues, I have a course called How to Get Your Gut in Sync. Um, and those are both online right now. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Beth. This was great. Oh, this was great. I'm glad to help out. All right, guys, that is a wrap on episode 61. You can find more from Beth at her Instagram page, which is at goodnessgraciousliving. She talks a lot about digestive stuff on there. So if this is something that impacts you, I highly, highly recommend you checking out her work. Um, And then if you're interested in signing up for the webinar that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, go to the link in my Instagram bio and it'll take you to where you need to go to pay the 10 bucks, um, and then you'll get the link to get into the webinar on Saturday. And then finally, there's also a link in my bio to pre-order my book, so um, definitely check that out if you're interested. And then finally, if you listen to my podcast a lot and it's been helpful to you, and you have like two seconds to go over to uh, Apple, podcast and leave a rating or review, I would be very, very appreciative. Um, Yeah, even just click on the stars, let me know what you think of the podcast, or if you have a second to leave a comment, that's awesome too. All right, guys, I hope you're doing well, and I will talk to you really soon.